0: Our scripture reading from the Old Testament today is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out for the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you, before you by the rock of Hareb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa, and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, is the Lord among us or not? And the New Testament reading comes from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 15. So we came to a town in in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob... For Jews do not associate with associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water."
1: when you're hiking in the wilderness in a desert environment, you need a lot more water than you think. At trailheads in the desert, you will notice signs warning you as a hiker about how much more water you need than you might think you need. These signs advise us Of the amount of water required for every hour exposed to the elements. Here's an example from one of the signs I've encountered. You must carry water. Hydrate your body the night before. Think ahead. No alcohol. Alcohol speeds up dehydration. This is on the sign at the trailhead. Carry as much drinking water as you can. Rule of thumb, you'll need at least one quart of water for every hour on the trail. Drinking when you are thirsty is too late. When half your water is gone, turn back and head to the trailhead. Notice that this safety warning lets hikers know to carry water, but not just to carry water— But to regularly drink it on a schedule. To be honest, this is something that I am not in the habit of doing. I always go out with water, but I'm not really good about making sure that I'm drinking it as I go. Usually I do take a cue from my sense of thirst. But as the sign says, in that environment, if you're drinking because you're thirsty, it's probably too late. Drinking when you become thirsty brings along dehydration. And dehydration in this desert environment afflicts the unsuspecting. It hits you by complete surprise. And we need these warnings because as human beings, we are prone to underestimate how in danger we are of dying of thirst. We think a lot about what it would be like to go without food. But we can actually survive a long time without food. But how long can we survive without water? Today's scripture texts have to do with survival. Both of them in very forbidding desert-like environments. Like a survival guide, in both of these texts, God provides what is needed for life. God provides water to the Israelites in the Sinai Desert after liberating them from slavery in Egypt. And like a survival guide, Jesus rehydrates at Samaritan water station, and takes the opportunity to speak to a woman who he meets there about the living water that he offers for the survival of her soul. These passages have been selected for Lent, because Lent is a season of considering our thirst for God. Psalm 42 puts it well. As the deer pants for streams of water, so so my soul pants for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Our physical need for water is equated with our spiritual need for God, for the living God, the God who brings life. And just like we, our bodies, our physical bodies, can't survive very long without water— Our spiritual lives have no chance of survival without the living God. From the Sinai Peninsula to the Samaritan Well, we are reminded that what we need to survive is provided by God. And the takeaway of both scripture scenes is that God provides. God provides the water that our physical bodies need to survive, and God provides what our souls need to survive, what Jesus calls living water, the eternal life-giving empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. Read together, these two texts show how Jesus extends the life-giving blessing of God's provision beyond the boundaries of God's original covenant people the same God who provided for the Israelites in the wilderness, now extends this provision beyond the boundaries. Someone like the Samaritan woman. Marginalized because of the culture that she is identified with. Marginalized in the encounter with Jesus because she is a woman and he is a man, marginalized because she is a Samaritan, and he is Jewish. St. Augustine encourages all Christians to see themselves in this woman at the well, because what once was offered exclusively to Israel is now offered to the entire world, regardless of background. In Jesus Christ. Now these texts are an inexhaustible treasury of lessons in the spiritual life. So we have to choose what we're going to focus on. And I wonder what we might gain from them today by looking through the lens of what we've mentioned earlier. The human tendency to underestimate the dangers of not getting enough water. How might we underestimate our need for the living water that Jesus offers? Well, our first text from Exodus shows that we might be distracted by doubt that leads us to give in to grumbling. First three verses of Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. By the way, this is capital S, Sin, that does not mean sin as you might think it means. Uh, sin is just the, the basically the Hebrew word for the wilderness, uh, and so and actually one of the letters of the Hebrew al- alphabet is transliterated in English S I N. So so like Hebrew people who study Hebrew kind of get that right off the bat. Uh, I like to liken it to. I don't think there's an etymological connection here between the words, but the word sin, S-I-N, in Spanish means without. And so this is very similar to that. The, the wilderness of the sin is, is like, well, it's the place without, without anything. And for the Israelites, it was without water. So they traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? You see, Moses was just leading them on the ground, but they were really being led by God. Moses was just God's servant. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. In this moment, God's people were looking for a leader to provide what only God could. And ultimately, the story here is that God did provide. A lesson they would need to be reminded of in the wilderness again and again and again. Continuing on to the conclusion, the Lord said to Moses, I will stand there before you by the rock. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This question sums up what God's people were wondering as they worried about water. God, are you here? Did you just send us out here to die? They doubted God's presence and provision. They were overwhelmed by today's fear and doubt when they considered their needs. And they gave in to grumbling, quickly forgetting the amazing thing that they had just experienced. Seeing the waters of the sea separated and then walking through those waters on dry ground. How might we be distracted from the life-giving living water of the Lord by our doubts, by our fears? And how quickly do we give in to grumbling? As you can see, it's a time-honored tradition for God's people. If you ever find yourself... Because of doubt or fear, starting to focus on those needs that start to loom bigger and bigger and bigger, and it starts to move our belief in what God can do further and further to the margins, you're in good company. Because God's people have been doing that on a regular basis from the very beginning. It's what comes with the territory. We're in good company. That's not how God wants us to live. God is standing with us. Just like God stood among them with Moses and provided them water to drink. But sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? How easily we forget all of the ways that God provides and look for others, perhaps, to provide for us what only God can. The truth is that God's people survived that day, not because they complained loudly, not because of their ingenuity or their geologic acumen, but by God's pure grace, by God's gift. And that's the gift of grace in the Christian life. So one way that we, one lesson we can get is is to be alert to how we might be distracted from God's faithful provision by our doubts and our grumbling. But there's another lesson that we can learn from this, especially focusing on Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman and what he shares with her about living water. And that is that one of the things we may underestimate is how much we thirst for other things that will not satisfy us. How focused we might be on other things than the living water that Jesus offers and promises. You got to think about it this way. So what Jesus is offering here to the Samaritan woman, Jesus offers to us and the entire world, (laughs) 24-7, This is a promise from God. Living water that will bring spiritual life that will never end. It's incredible. Why isn't this front page news every day of the year? Living water that provides for life that will never end. Remember how we mentioned that human beings are prone to underestimate how in danger they are? With not getting enough water? This goes for the spiritual as well as the physical. We ignore what is truly important as we give our hearts to other desires that do not satisfy. It's not necessarily that those desires are bad in and of themselves. But they can turn us into obsessive People and they can distract us from seeing that in fact We're dying on the inside Verses 13 and 14 of John 4 Jesus answered Everyone who drinks this water speaking of the water from the well will be thirsty again But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up To eternal life. Jesus deftly moves this conversation from water to what water does satisfy thirst. He knows that one drink of this water will work for a time. This is more of a desert type of environment here. You'll have to come back again and again to drink, to survive physically. Now, the Samaritan woman knew this all too well. As as women throughout the world know. Because, because in most of the world, throughout most of history, it was the women's work to go to the well to get the water for the family. And that job, like most women's work, is never done, is it? <laughs> and certainly in that environment, it's a full-time job going to the well, Br- bringing the water back, going back to the well, again and again, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month. So she knew it full well. And Jesus highlights the importance of the spiritual dimension of life by contrasting the temporary satisfaction of water with the eternal benefit of living water. I mentioned St. Augustine earlier He preached on this passage in his North African church in the year 407 A.D., just before the fall of Rome to the barbarians. He looked around him at Roman society and saw how much of life in his world was oriented around Thirsting after worldly pleasures. He noticed that one experience of worldly pleasure is not likely to satisfy one for long. Our desires keep us going back to the well again and again. I'm quoting him here. He says this When anyone attains the pleasures of this world, that is, food, drink, the baths, the stadium, and sex, will they not get thirsty again? So these pleasures leave us unsatisfied but often wanting more. How much is enough? How do we know enough is enough? Now food, drink, and sex are clear enough as basic human desires, and we could fill up a whole sermon series talking about those, But I found it curious that Augustine mentioned the baths and the stadiums. So I had to look some things up about Rome and the Roman Empire at that time. The baths. Now some of you have been to see Roman baths at some places in the world. In fact, one of the best Roman baths you can visit is in Bath in England. And uh, in the year of Augustine's birth, in 354 A.D., There was a catalogue of buildings in Rome that documented 952 baths, public baths, in the city of Rome. They were often some of the first buildings to be built as the Roman Empire expanded. To be Roman meant to go to the baths. Now, here's the thing. Taking a bath is never a bad thing. We are grateful for that. The lesson here is not to not take showers, right? But to the Romans, the bath, the public bath, was like a spa on steroids. And and it's amazing. If you want to look it up. You can read about it. It was a full-service place. You could get all kinds of different therapies. They had had dramatic performances in some of the spaces there. You could exercise there. It sounds like a pretty cool club, to be honest. 952 in Rome. Now, some say that the fact that there were so many baths and that the population of Rome was so focused on meeting those desires— That there weren't enough people doing the hard work of protecting the Roman Empire from the barbarians. (laughs) And that is one of the theories about how Rome could fall so easily. But the baths are also symbolic of the beauty industry in our world today. This longing for youth and a desire to be attractive according to some Model? Look? The global beauty industry is 500 billion dollars and growing. Cosmetics, skincare fragrances, surgeries. All of this shows how obsessed we are with our own version of the baths. Tonight are the Academy Awards. The red carpet. If you, could, if you could say, is there one event that sets the tone for beauty in our world? And it might well be the red carpet at the Oscars. Setting the tone for fashion and physical beauty. But how much is enough? When do we find perfection? When are we truly satisfied? Is an industry so focused on appearances in any position— To help us understand our life and our world with the stories that they tell? Now we have to move to something that I found very convicting, and that is the stadiums. As a sports fan, I found this very convicting. The stadium was an important place in Augustine's time in Rome. The exhilaration of being a spectator of competition. Now, mind you, much of this competition was blood sport at the expense of Christians. But people attended it as people attend fights, as people attend competitions between teams in stadiums today. Some of the greatest marvels of architecture in the Roman Empire were stadia. Think about our society. Think about the way stadiums used to be. And now think about the stadium that every city has to have. Think about all those great memories you had at the Seattle Center Coliseum. But you know what? Wasn't enough, was it? We think of the Roman Coliseum. But there was also the Circus Maximus, which was like the, the chariot racing oval. And throughout the Roman ruins of the Mediterranean, you'll find stadia of various sizes. And the equivalent today is the global sports industry, which, ironically, is worth $500 billion annually as well, and is growing too. Now to put this in perspective, the Department of Housing and Urban Development says that If we put $20 billion toward it, we could solve the problem of homelessness in America. We've just named two industries globally that amount to a trillion dollars. Entertainment, apparel, footwear, equipment. Sports can be a fulfilling activity, but we can get enamored with this dream that our desires get all out of whack. We start young when our kids are engaged in sports, and sports can be a really good thing. Teaching, teamwork, exercise, and play, but oftentimes we in our community get enamored with fame and fortune. First, in the form of, what will it take that my kid, who obviously is more of a gifted athlete than anyone else, how will my kid be able to get a college scholarship? And then once they get a college scholarship, that's almost a shoe in that somehow you're going to go pro. And so, my retirement is covered. <laughs> There's a 2% rule. Remember it. Remember it as you're watching kids engaged in sports. That no more than 2% of high school athletes will get any kind of scholarship for college. Because of their sport. And most scholarships for college are not full rides. The 2% rule applies to college athletes playing professionally. Anywhere in the world for any dollar amount. 2%. 2%. Some people are employed by the NCAA to help the 98% deal With life because they won't be going pro in a sport but they do have a degree like I said this was particularly convicting for me because Lent is often in the month of March and March is my favorite sports month of the year it's March madness time it's also spring training Just because people are living their best lives. I mean, that's how it looks, doesn't it? That's how it seems to us sometimes. People are living their best lives. On Instagram, on television, wherever. They're happy, enjoying life, focusing on beauty, focusing on sports. But just because it seems like they're living their best lives doesn't mean they're not dying on the inside. Lent is a season in which we slow down and notice how our culture devalues spiritual reality. Even the self help industry, this includes everything self help, probably some wacko stuff included in there. $11 billion in the U.S. annually. It doesn't even come close. Even including everything about the spiritual life. Friends, we can learn a lesson from water in the wilderness. Just because you are dressed well for the hike and you look the part. You've been to REI and have all of the latest even if you're cruising along and making good time and showing off how physically fit you are out there on that trail doesn't mean that you're getting the water that you need to survive the experience. And just because you think you're living your best life without the living water of Jesus doesn't mean that you're not in the process of dying. Compared to what we fill our lives with that won't satisfy, we need more of Jesus' living water than we think. And in the presence of what will not satisfy, Jesus offers us what will. Receive the gift that Jesus offers today, his offer of himself. His offer of soul care, his offer of soul repair, soul hydration, strength for the journey. Say yes this Lent to more time spent in spiritual practices, practices that place you under the flow of Jesus' living water. Prayer and praise and worship and word. In conclusion, Jesus was sent to us as a survival guide. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And he sends his disciples on that same mission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. But will the world find us well hydrated with Jesus' living water? Able to guide people to the source that will satisfy? Amen. Today, for our prayer time, I'd like to invite uh, any prayer requests that you might have. I am going to take out a pen and I've got a piece of paper to write down some prayer notes.